Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Very good. Good morning, everybody. I'm, I'm Rick Mills. I'm on the leadership team with the pastors here, so it's great to have you guys with us today. Um, our leadership, uh, or our, excuse me, our relationship tune-up messages, I think, have been really, really great, and, um, and I hope that you guys are really getting blessed from that. We've been talking about doing this panel now for, gosh, probably, over yeah, over a year, and so I'm excited that we're going to be able to do that. So if you do have any questions today, we would like for you to write them down first and just raising your hand. That way I can pass them up to Michael, and then we can see who he feels like is the best person to, to ask those on the panel, and if you, obviously, things can be... Um, uh, anonymous. And so, um, anyway, so, uh, we're going to go ahead and start off. So we can, we're talking about in our relationship series, we're talking about relationships with, uh, in our marriages, uh, parenting, things with our kids, um, things with family, and then also relationships within the church. And so, um, if you do have any problems with Michael, this would be a great time to address, a great to just write them down and, oh, look, the pan, Look, the panel's actually going to start those, I think. So, so I think, I think, I think Candy's first. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so um, if you have any questions and you want to write those down, just lift your hand up, and our ushers will get you. There's a. Oh, Carrie, Carrie, did you? Okay, no, Carrie was just waving uh, from the front row. So. Anyway, so do you want to start with any of the questions that we have so far? Um, I have them. I have them too. There's some. Okay, there's there's great ones. So, um, I really like this this question. As a young man in Christ who takes interest in a young lady in Christ um, that you would like to marry, how do you discern when it's God's uh, God is telling you the time is right and um, when you're being impatient and when you're just being impatient that is a great question so here's a, a person that's a young man that's asking about uh, how to start this relationship or how to make it more serious with this this young woman they're both christians and um so anybody who would like to answer that maybe the younger couple on the group who had to has been waiting Selection is huge. You know, for Candy and I, not just having a believer in our life, but someone who understood the spiritual experiences um, that, that the Lord had done in our lives. Um, so it was, we even talked about how the fact that we both went to the same school ministry and we both got a Bible was so crucial that doesn't always happen that way um, but in our process of being friends for four years and then finally dating and, and leading to marriage for me you know, dating has been just that stepping stone of leading to marriage not just seeing if, if it was going to work out um, but that was that was part of that process that, that God really had but um, I'll be honest, can I be real transparent? You know I'm going to be anyways. Um, I was very vulnerable to people speaking into my life in that time, in that season of our life. And there was a man that had a lot of influence in my life who usually spoke a really powerful word from the Lord. Um, but he came to me um, recognizing that there was some things in my heart that were off, uh, but it wasn't my choice of candy. And when he confronted me, he confronted my whole relationship. And he confronted that. And what that did for me is made me have to go away and, f and hear from the Lord, God, am I supposed to be in this relationship for marriage with Candy? So what caused a disruption for us and some shaky ground initially allowed us to come into it with a really solid rock. Um, and so just to tell you two really brief examples of how God allowed us to start rocky but ended up being a solidified foundation. Um, from that confrontation, I went off for an eight-hour period and just took my Bible and my journal, and I just spent that work day, so to speak, just praying and seeking the Lord about this, about our marriage. Lord, I need to know confirmation that if, if you're in it or not, because I don't want to move forward, and she doesn't want me floundering. She wants me to be sure. And this is a little bit about what we talked about in our retreat, how we decide instead of slide. 
If we slide into situations, slide into relationships, slide into big decisions on, buy, on purchases or whatever it may be, then we always have that to fall back on. We didn't decide, and, and there's no commitment at that point. And so God really set us up for that. Um, the second thing that really um, allowed us to be sure was the one person that I would have ever compared my marriage to with Candy was, was a girl named Shannon who I had pursued years prior. And she had no interest in me until we were engaged. And so I, yeah, this is too transparent, right? And so she, she drove all the way from Charlotte to meet with me on the Starbucks on the Strip during a, a wedding shower that was being thrown for Candy in full disclosure with Candy and our pastor who was leading our premarital counseling. Um, and I said, I'm going to have to reinterpret what she thinks she's heard from the Lord because Shannon was one who, who believed that there was only one person for us and that if, if I wasn't going to work out for her, then she was going to end up being celibate. And so when I ended up redefining what she was experiencing in her life, I said, listen, I'm not discerning what, what the Lord is showing to you. I don't hear that same thing. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your dreams and visions and all this means for you, but it doesn't mean that for me. And so she drove four more hours back home, probably with a mess, right, to deal with. But sometimes we need those real hard confrontations to solidify what we're going into. And that's really tough sometimes to accept it and see that God's in it, even when, man, it, it hurts. It was vulnerable in that, in that moment. Um, but sometimes we have to find that sure answer that, no, I know God's in it. Um, and now we have probably the best foundation we could have started from. What was that like for you, Christian, selection? It was totally different, I'm sure, but... Hello. Okay, cool. We're on. Uh, I always say hello because I never know if this thing's going to work. It's going to be like, hello. No. Anyways, um, so it was February 2016, my senior year of college. I'm taking 21 hours to graduate on time. I'm leading a group of seniors from STEM, um, just trying to finish strong. And I'm trying to figure out what to do next because I don't know what to do after college. All while pushing Desley all the way to the back. Uh, we'd been dating for three-ish years, four-ish years, something like that, um, at the time. <laughs> All right, Carrie. Um, she was 18, 19, so no, she was old enough. Maybe 20. <laughs> it's all vague now. You're, you're making me question everything. Um, anyways, um, so, and we go to our first date spot, which is Sequoia Hills on a park bench, and she broke up with me. <laughs> right? Uh, be, all because I, I was pushing her away. Uh, I was doing my own thing, and I wasn't spending time with God, um, and she could sense that. And so we had, like, a big reality, a big gut check for me. Um, and I left that thinking, wow, like this person cared so much to so much for me and so much for my time with the Lord that she would address that. Um, and so I spent the next week just praying really hard um, where uh, where I was interning at, too, at the time um, or about to go intern at. We they were starting to practice kind of just like a week, a day of just prayer, all day prayer, all day silence. And in that moment, I'd also been reading a book um called scary close you remember that um and there's so much of just like i was thinking maybe this is the one but then like after she did that uh it really kind of solidified that she cared so much for me to address those things to really push in to care for my soul not just our relationship she um you know i realized i gosh this is this is the girl i want to marry because i know she's gonna a kind of fight for us and bring to attention, but she's not scared to, to dive into those hard moments. Um, for me, that's, that was super important for me. Um, and, and I felt on my heart too, that that was super important for a relationship for, for me and God to have someone along the side that's going to keep pushing me back that way. That way I can push her that way. Cause I was pretty much blind at that point. I thought I was doing all the right things. You know, I'm about to graduate. I'm, I'm leading seniors, but at the same time I, I was, I had no time. I had spread myself way too thin and I was hurting people. Uh, and I was hurting myself. Rick and I have a little bit different perspective because, and I, most people here, but a few don't know, Rick and I were both widowed and, um, I guess it's close to 10 years now. And we had both been alone for three years and we both realized that 
you need that time. And we both made a very conscious choice to, with, you know, whether it's God's wisdom or human wisdom, I think sometimes those are the same, to give that time to, for healing and for being by yourself and being with God and, and figuring out who you are and just sort of um, integrating into yourself the, the time that, that you've been um, and what you've been through. So after three years, we were both done with being alone. And this sound, may sound very um, secular, but we both went on Match.com. I don't think either one of us would say we heard from the Lord to go on Match.com. But neither, no. He says no, I say no. But... Um, Neither one of us were in a position at our age to meet somebody, and we didn't even go on Christian Singles. Um, I think I looked there, and it was not, I wasn't going to find anything there. <laughs> um, and, but we both, but, um, and so we, you know, and I think our journey was very similar. Um, it was the right time and it was using, it was using wisdom, but not, you know, no big voice from God, but, but seeking the Lord and, um, and, and using wisdom and, and putting it before the Lord. And, um, and this is, this is what God brought about. So, um, you know, I think, I think journeys are all unique. And I think if you're, submitted to him and and following wisdom um i think there's um i think there's a path that god will lead you on i want to bring it back to this question um he, the question was talking about when when do you know that the timing is right to pursue this relationship further than friendship and that was a big deal for us um so for me again what susan just said they're all going to be different, aren't they? I bet every single person in here that has a story, it's very unique on what those next steps look like. Some, some are messy, some are a little more, you know, clean cut. Some, some are just like, well, I'm not really sure when it happened, you know? And I think it's really important. What I hear is in the stories is there's a lot of things that God uses in our life to transform us. And it's usually going to be this most important relationship in our life in marriage. To change some some hard tough spots in us there's usually commitment phobia on one side or the other there's usually some trust issues but I think all of those have to come out through conversation with the person you're interested in in pursuing that relationship and that's what Katie and I had to do because we had been we had been friends for four years and it was really really weird because she knew my family I felt like she was a sister and then all of a sudden you have feelings for someone you feel like is a sister in the Lord yeah I'm not talking about a real sister right don't don't have feelings for your real sister that that's a, another pay grade above me uh, as far as you <laughs> getting help. But, but a conversation, we had that, that conversation immediately of, hey, I don't want to mess up this friendship, but I think this might be happening in my heart towards you. Where are you at in this? I mean, you know, that's really uncomfortable and vulnerable that first time it comes out. But I think that's the way you test the waters. You prayed about it. You have peace about it. You have to begin taking steps out of it, especially if you're in that younger category. You've not been there before. Um, you've never done this. Uh, I think it's really important that you just communicate and just expect that vulnerability to kind of draw some stuff out of you to cause you to grow. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, for So when Dustin and I first met, um, it was... Seven, eighteen, about to be eighteen. She was. Uh, we met at her sixteenth birthday party, um, and I was like ready. I was like let and 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 the and the Lord wasn't, and so we tried today for a few months, and it just didn't work out. Um, then it all kind of came back around. So it's it's really interesting to see that kind of path of like, yes, but not right now. So just like just wait a little bit, like. There's a there's a reason why you met, but you're kind of just jumping the gun. Like, just take a pause, wait a minute, um, get to know each other, or maybe just maybe don't really get to know each other. Because we I spent a, a while pretty mad at her, <laughs> uh, just because she like was like, no, 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 uh, and so I was like, oh gosh, that hurt. Uh, but eventually, we all came back around. Yeah, she agrees. <laughs> How long have you guys been married now? 
be it'll be two years in like three weeks. Oh, very good, very good. That's awesome. That's very good, very good. Hopefully, that's been helpful for for some of you here. Um, we're going to go on to to the next question that we have. These are all have all been submitted to us in the last last few days. The next question is, how this is a good one. How do you approach a difficult subject with your spouse? Uh, where they won't be offended. How do you approach a topic with your spouse um, uh, that's difficult where they won't be offended? Yeah, well, that's that's something I was going to say, is I think the big thing is if it's something that you feel like that you're upset about or that's bothering you, I feel like the first thing to do is to take a step back. Um, and to figure out why are you wanting to approach them? Are you wanting to approach them because you're mad? Are you wanting to approach them out of anger or hurt feelings? Um, and, you know, I think to take a step back and examine your motives um, and don't do it out of the wrong motives. You need to do it to either restore health to the relationship or because, you you know, you have concern for your spouse or, or whatever that may be. But don't do it out of anger or out of your hurt feelings because then typically comes emotion. Um, typically that will tend to stir up, I think, defense in the spouse. Um, and they don't hear typically, I think, what is really in your heart. Um, I think if you can wait until your, you know, your emotions are here and you can approach with a level head, I think typically you can have a, a more level headed conversation. I think those of you who are at our marriage retreat, you know, we did the speaker listener technique where we can talk with a, a level head about something. And I think that's so important. If you can approach a conversation about something that's really important without um, high emotions, uh, I think you can get so much farther and um, you can get to the root of whatever it is that you're wanting to talk about because you're not bringing so much um, emotional baggage to it. That's good. You know, I, I do think of the verse that you're kind of alluding to is that we're, we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Um, and I think in our interpersonal relationships, that's a really good formula that the scripture lays out for us that let's be quick to understand. How many of you know in our conversations, it's not about getting our agenda accomplished or our point conveyed or the fact that I'm right now, we agree on, on that, but it's, it's understanding. And that's why we're quick to listen first so that we understand the other. And so when we give that, uh, hopefully that will be reciprocated, but we can only do our part. And that's what's really important to understand. We can't do the other person's part. We are only responsible for ours. Um, and that's hard to let go of sometimes, especially if you're, uh, if you're controlling or you're a perfectionist and that all bleeds together, you need things a certain way, then being quick to listen is a struggle. And, and that has to really be priority. And I think one of the things my dad always left me with, because I work with my dad and obviously watching him and my, mo and my mom in relationship, one thing he always told me in addressing an issue of something that is potentially uncomfortable, be it with a, a coworker or a kid that we're working with, was always bring the story back on yourself. And so what he would tell me is when you're trying to address a situation, talk about a time you struggled with that. Talk about a time that you misunderstood or, you know, always be reflexive in your story. Um, because that, again, lets down the defenses. Uh, the guard's not up. The, the gloves aren't on on the other side. And you can actually have a really good conversation versus immediately going to, you did this. Instead, you're using I statements, I stories things that they can relate to and are, and are presenting a vulnerable a picture of yourself. And so you're putting yourself out there to try to address something that's important to you, hopefully in a way that you can get story from them versus defenses. And then you can have conversation about it. And I, that's just been so helpful for me uh, to just to bring things back on myself, um, to allow the person to talk, to listen well, uh, and then to then to move from that and see where God's going to navigate that conversation. You know, one of the things that um, I'm reminded of is the is Scripture tells us to be still and what? Be still and what? And know. Sometimes we're, we are too quick to get involved. I'm a kind of person, I like to get stuff resolved pretty quickly. Um, and I would say that uh, to one is to really listen to the Lord and let Him show you when and when to approach something, when's the right time. But there's been times where I've had to, pr I've prayed and I say, Lord, will you put this on her heart so that we can then talk about it? And it's amazing how many times that happens. That, that, um, 
how many how many times that that, that happens um, yeah and it's um, that's really good so I think we need to be patient and we need to listen and then we also need to have a heart to serve and um, those things really help all right this is a anybody else have something to add on that okay this is a, another question that um, has to do with marriage and a little bit similar uh, here is um, we have the same re repeated problem in our marriage relationship for years. How do we resolve this when it hasn't been resolved? So anybody, I'll let anybody up here take a stab at that one. Reoccurring problems that don't get resolved. I think, I think this is... Um Something that um, is that I've thought a lot about in, in looking at this and preparing for this, and um, it it goes back to putting God first. If, if it's something that's been going on that long and is just um, really a, a deep, deep problem you're probably, you're not going to fix that other person. And I think at some point it becomes, okay, God, you're what matters. And I just lay this before you, and I can't do anything about it, but you are what matters. And... I just have to leave it with you. And all I can tell you is that's the only thing that has worked for me when you have a problem that deep. And God answers. Yes. It takes time. And it takes really seeing him as the thing that matters. He's what matters. And when he becomes the focus, you know that, that line in that song, that the earth became, becomes dim in the light of his wonderful face? Mm -hmm. That's what happens. And those things, whatever that thing is, it only becomes dim when he becomes big enough. That's the only answer I have for those kinds of things. God does a work. And he does it in, he does it in not the other person where you think, okay, God, you need to fix them. And it's not so much that he changes you, he just makes himself bigger for you. And that's what changes things when God becomes big enough for us. That's awesome. I think oftentimes too, when you and if this question is dealing more with some of the same like rote arguments that you seem to get into like over and over again, like not the the huge problem that only God can deal with, but some of the same things like the house is cluttered or you know the uh, you know whatever, like the things that just seem to be the small things that. Um, you're on different expectation levels. And I, you know, I think the very first um, week, you know, Michael talked about expectations and communication. And I think so often we, you know, as we come into marriages, we have those different expectations and we have different temperaments and we have, you know, different strengths that we bring to a marriage and we bring to relationships. And so I think when we have um, expectations we're putting on each other um, and those are different, I, um, I think that those are going to continue to, cycle around and clash and then okay okay we deal with them a little bit and then they cycle back around again and they they're still the same and so I think that we're gonna con we do continue to see them and I don't think that means that there's anything wrong with your relationship I think that's normal um we uh, we what is it 40 percent oh is, um, so they, they had told us that, you know, like oh, uh, research shows that over 60 percent of um, like arguments are the same. Like they I don't, 
Yeah, the, the research shows that um, the arguments that you have within your first year of, ma of marriage are going to be the same arguments you continue to have 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Because it's not about uh, the big problems, so to, so to speak, but it's about your differences. Uh, usually those are the things, your points of contention had to, have to do with how different you are. Um, so it's just, yeah, those complementary parts rubbing on one another. And I think the, that shouldn't be depressing. That should, be, um, that should bring enlightenment to know that, okay, God's going to use this person so that I can learn to prefer others, serve better, be less selfish, crucify the flesh, you know, embody what God's really called us to be. And, and that's the greatest opportunity to do that is in marriage. It's so sacred um, to prefer the other like Christ preferred us, that, it, that he would be willing to even give his life. So now we have the opportunity to lay our life down for someone else who may or may not reciprocate. Right. We're putting ourselves out there with no strings attached. It's unconditional love. And so Andy Stanley puts it this way that you decide, are there are these problems that have to be solved, that there's a solution or are these tensions that need to be managed? And usually that just requires good communication. And that's when our expectations and our reality aren't uh, lining up. And, th and then we find the conflict in the middle. But these are usually just tensions to be managed. It's not a problem to be solved. It's something we just need to work and have good communication, good conversations about. Uh, and that's where we see the growth. Not in that we reached a solution, but that we reached understanding of one another. And now we can learn how to serve one another better. So if you You know, and I think, you know, I think the things that Rick's talked about the last couple weeks are, to some degree, the nuts and bolts of what goes on inside of you, of the, the practical, how do you do that? And it's, and it's submitting, um, submitting those the the thoughts and I wasn't here last week I had to work but we we talked a little bit on the way home the week before that I you know I I said to Rick so much of this goes back to taking every thought captive and he said that's what I'm going to talk about next week and I haven't listened to the podcast bad wife um but but it, it, you know it's about um you know that that taking every thought captive and and um and and just submitting and forgiving and, 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 you know, let that thought go. And, and it, and it is, a, there is, there are definitely, you know, Rick's given practical ways to implement those, um, the ways where you, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to look at you, God. Um, for us, I, I guess I'll start back. A little bit further, what I saw in my parents and how how I grew up when they, because we're still early on in our marriage, so we're still, I'm just good. I'll get there. Um, my so my parents were they were put like if a conflict arose or I could see even young like oh, this is like always going to happen for them, but they couldn't see that. Um, they push each other away or they threaten to leave. And that's quitting. Uh, and it hurt me a lot. Um, and so going into marriage, <clears throat> I kind of knew not what not to do. Um, but we know I'm a yes man, and I don't have a schedule really well. And I kind of just fly by the wind. Desley's the op, and I'm an extrovert. Desley's very introverted. Uh, she has a the most detailed schedule I've ever seen. Uh, if you ever want tips of how to do it, she will give them to you. Um, and because I'm a yes man, I'm, and that's one of the reasons why my senior year we broke up for a bit because I said yes to everything. Um, we've had to we've had to have like hard conversations, but out of that come health or healthy like moments of all right, like. Fridays are our day, like, and we're going to try to stick to that as hard as we can. And sometimes it, I'm a yes man, and sometimes it just doesn't work. <laughs> um, but uh, it is, it, I mean, it is hard. Uh, and we know, too, in that book I read um, growing up, we, uh, we learned that we have two pillows. Uh, I know it's a far-fetched idea, but we, we each have separate lives, too. But at the same time, we want to have those moments. And when this pillow is over here, when I'm just constantly like, 
always yes, 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 I'll do that. I'm exhausted when I come to her, um, and that's not fair to her, and it's not fair to me either or our relationship. So, um, yeah, we're still in that moment of, of well, we recognize this is going to be what it's going to be, like this is going to be our thing. Um, yeah, but we'll, unlike, I've seen, um, I don't plan on, you know, I've, I know what happens when it goes too far and how easy it is to run away. Because uh, I've seen that for 18 years of my life until I moved out. Wow. I heard a pastor say a few years ago that when you're married, it's God's way of discipling you. That's so, so true. Because what are we supposed to, what did Paul tell us? He said that women are supposed to submit to their husbands. And a lot of times I just did a wedding a few months ago and they're like, she's like, you're not going to bring up the submit verse, are you? Because that really offends me. And I'm like, well, let me tell you what it is. The word submit in Greek, sub means under like a submarine and mit means mission. So the woman's supposed to come under the mission or the vision of the husband as he receives that from God. Well, that's a totally different thing. So women are supposed to support the vision of the family that the husband gets from God. And then look what the husband's supposed to do. He's supposed to die to himself and serve her as Christ loved the church. Amen. So that's, that's true discipleship right there. Um, and uh, boy, but it's hard to, uh, I heard somebody say that uh, it's good for a flesh to die. Just let it die quietly. So uh, <laughs> we don't do that very well. So here's another question um, for us. Um, still has to do with families. Um, how do we get our blended family to be more of a blend? So Susan and I were blessed. She had three kids. I had two. When we got married, the pastor said, this wasn't two people that fell in love. This is two families that fell in love. Our kids started hanging out without us. Months before we were married, we're like, okay, we don't need one more sign that this is God, but that was a huge one. So um, our families blended really well, but they were they were older and on their own. But anyway, uh, anybody else up here want to tackle that? Anybody else? Anybody want to tackle that with blended families? I, I don't have... Uh personal experience on a blended family as much as adopted families. Um, and I, th I think with ours even being as little as they were, I, we've had to navigate that sense of creating permanency. And I think in blended families, it's not much different. Um, creating permanency, um, even how Christian's talking about in our marriage relationship, we don't use language that already puts the, com the commitment on the line that we're not committed, that we're willing to walk out of it. And we have to do that with the kids as well that are affected by that relationship, creating a sense of permanency that there's no other option other than to be in it, that we're going to work things out when things get tough, that we're going to show love constantly and unconditionally, um, and that we're going to, there, there's going to be equality. We're going to treat everyone fairly and the same. And I think that's something that we've had to do even in, in adoption circles with our friends. We've seen it, it done well, um, but sometimes it takes being so consistent, just like your own biological kids, being so consistent with those blended families that you're going, finally, it's going to just crack one day that it's, it's working. Wow. I can't believe it. After that long, it's, it's finally working. Right. Um, but that I'm sure that some of you guys could probably give a better example of actual blended families. And, uh, maybe Susan, you have something to add. I don't know. You know, I deal in in my in my work. I deal a lot with this, and and I think I think one thing you said, Michael, is very very important. Is you know when you have a blended family, you've got um, there has been some break before. So you know, I think the idea of permanence, because I think a lot of times the kids are well. You know, this may or may not be the same. So the idea of commitment, I think, is huge. And, um, you know, we're in this for the long haul. And, um, and I think, I think doing things together. And I would think, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the step parents doing things individually with the, the step kids and, and, just, you know, just, I, I think, t I think there is absolutely no substitute for time. Time with, um, you know, with different combinations of, of different kids. There's just no substitute for time. Make the time, invest the time, 
I will say, I, I, my mom remarried when I was seven and I, my, so my stepdad raised me from the time I was seven and, and I split time between parents until my dad died when I was 16. Um, so people are like, Oh, you had a stepdad, you had a stepdad. And I'm like, I don't feel like I had a stepdad. I feel like I was blessed with two dads. Um, because I, my stepdad did a really good job of treating me like a daughter. Um, I never really felt like he was anything other than a father figure. He provided me with a lot of stability, um, which my dad didn't. Um, he provided me, um, a lot of love, a lot of support. He was always there. Um, you know, he, he did for me. He, he loved me unconditionally. Um, you know, the only thing that I think was any different is I think he deferred to my mom on a lot of things, but I think that's also just cause she's, you know, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, you know, she is, she would tell it like it was. Um, but, uh, so I think that that's, you know, a big thing. I, I think as, as if you are a step parent, if you are a non-traditional parent, um, you know, don't feel like that negates your ability to be a parent. Don't feel like that, you know, removes you from the picture as the ability to love completely. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, like I loved my dad, um, but he wasn't capable of fathering me. Not really. Um, and so I feel like the, the person who provided me the stability in my life as a father was my stepdad. Is my stepdad. Um, and so without that, I would not have really had a true father figure in my life. Um, and if he had felt like, well, I'm just a stepdad and not really taking that on, um, I wouldn't have had that in my life. Um, so I just think that, you know, there's so many different, you know, ways people are raising kids these days. Um, so whether it's a stepfather or, you know, however it is as you're raising a child, um, don't, don't feel like it don't feel like it's not important because it is, you know, if you, if you have a child in your life, embrace that wholeheartedly because you will never know what that means to that child. Even if they act like it doesn't, <laughs> even if they treat you like, even if they treat you like it doesn't, um, it does because especially kids, like you said, that have had that break or who have had that disruption or that trauma that, um, you know, it hurt, it, it hurts and they're going through stuff, but the stability and the love and the fact that someone is there means more to, um, means more to a child than anything. So. Right. Does anybody have any questions they want to submit? Anybody want to hand one of these up to the usher? Hold your hand up and we'll, and we'll come grab that real quick. Um, I want to get to another question here and this one is, uh, boy, this is a tough one. seems like all of us, People, we've been through this, or people know about this. Uh, how do I handle infertility? That's a really, really, really tough topic, and I'll open that up to you folks. How do I handle infertility? Uh, I mean, I think that can be really, really tough. A question just because I mean so many people deal with it in different in different arenas and different areas um, uh, how did I feel um, well I mean I'll let me let me backtrack for a minute I know Michael briefly touched on this when we when he it was some point but I originally thought we were gonna have a really difficult time getting pregnant and and I did have a miscarriage early on before we ever had Eliana. Um, and we had a a hard time getting pregnant. Um, and before I, before I got pregnant, um, I had some stuff going on that made it, made me think that I wasn't going to be able to possibly get pregnant. Um, and, and so it can be hard. Um, and then with Ellie, it was, we had a, a difficult pregnancy and, possibly thought maybe we shouldn't try to have any more. And so I think with any time you're dealing with children, anytime you're dealing with something going on in your body and you're trusting God to, to do it, you're trusting God for it. Um, I think it's, it's 
it's hard to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for this. But I think so often we're trying to do it ourselves, you know, um, nobody has the answers for infertility. And I, for me, when, um, after we had Judah, um, when I had, they were both born premature and the doctor said no more kids and we wanted more kids. Um, and, but I had had, had to have my tubes tied with Judah and I watched, I threw a baby shower for every single person in my small group. I watched every, like every single person, like getting pregnant, getting pregnant, getting pregnant, people who didn't want to get pregnant, getting pregnant, like every, like, a lot. Well, this isn't here. This was it. This was previously, but I, I watched people get pregnant. My sister-in-law had four babies in five years, um, which with not trying for any of them. So you, you see, and I, so I see like, it's hard to watch people around you have babies when you want them. Um, but you also like sometimes don't know what God's plans are. Like for me, I know I shared this one time, I think from the stage and in the fact that like we wanted four kids and had we been able to have four kids, I don't know that we ever would have maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, God's plan was bigger. God's plan was for us to open our home through foster care. And now we've touched the lives of so many more kids and bio families and other things that we never would have had the opportunity to do. And I'm not saying that's what everybody's supposed to do that can't have kids, but that's what we were supposed to do. And now, you know, we've adopted and it's like, it's, it's just God's plan is, is different for everybody. And so just because don't feel like that's the end of your story. Um, just trust God. I mean, I, like in the song we sang this morning, prophesy your promise. I feel like so often we get caught up in despair and what our circumstances are. And I was there. I believe me. I was there. I, I, I grieved over the fact that I couldn't have any more kids. I grieved it. I was, I, I mean, I grieved it. Um, and so I got, I got really stuck in the fact that I couldn't have any more kids. And I couldn't see what God had. And I think sometimes we just get so stuck in our, in our grief and our despair that we don't walk forward in faith and see what God has for us. And sometimes it's just trusting him. Um, and, and that's really all I have to say, but I mean, I, I know Susan's a lot of Susan's story. So I'll let Susan tackle this and then we'll move to the next question. I, I did not I did not have a problem with infertility, but um, I, I did lose my first child. Um, he had a heart defect and only lived a few days and um, and then I, I had another I had a son and then I lost another child and um, and then I had another son and um, and I couldn't have any more. Um, and I wanted I wanted more children. I ended up adopting a daughter um, too. Um, I did, I, and, but to say that I understand infertility, no. I understand grief. I understand losing children. I don't understand infertility. I think that's a different kind of grief. It's a different kind of loss. And, um, we're dealing that with that in our family right now. Um, I, you don't mind me saying, do you? Um, Rick's daughter who had breast cancer. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to conceive, and we're we're looking at that, and and we're we're watching, you know, wa- watching Haley try to figure out what to do and and how you go forward, um, and and um, I don't, you know, I don't I don't have a big answer, but the older I get. The more, the further I get in my journey with God, the bigger God becomes. And there's no shortcut to this journey, but God is immensely big and patient and faithful and kind. And It's about him. 
and I don't have answers. I don't understand. It's just when, you know, after, after my son died, I, I went in, I had to go back to the doctor, and there was somebody there who I heard cursing because she was pregnant with twins. And it was just a knife in my heart. And you, you say, why? How can that be? All I ever wanted was to be a mom. And, and I still don't have answers. I don't have answers as to why that happened. But I don't need an answer because I have God. And it takes, it takes a long, long time. It took me. I shouldn't say it takes. It took me a long, 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 long time to get there. And it's only by grace and walking with God that you get there. So answers to why or how you deal with it, I don't have any. I just have God and his faithfulness and his patience with me and his goodness to me. Amen. That's good. Susan and I both talked about our spouses. Like she said, we were married before our spouses dying and different things and different things we've had to deal with, with um, our kids losing spouses and my daughter dealing with cancer. And we've just come to the conclusion that God is God and we trust him. And there's some answers that we want that we're never going to get. And it's taken a while to be okay with that. Might, but probably not. <laughs> Here's the next question is, how does the church be family for those without family? Um, I'm going to take a quick, quick, uh, uh, give you some answers on that is invest. Um, I've been in church since 1981 and been serving in church since about that time. And it's always interesting to me that people come to church. Well, I don't know if those people like me. I don't really know if I fit in. If you don't, and I'm sure the pastor back here in the back from Honduras, I'm sure they would agree with this and other people that have been in church for a long time. If you don't invest in your church, it's never going to feel like it's yours. It's just like if you have a family and everybody eats together, but you decide to go play video games, you're not invested like everybody else. The best way to become family with your church family is to really invest, invest in people, invest in the ministry that's happening there. Michael, I'll let you answer anything else and then we'll move to the next yeah, question. Yeah, you know, that's um, so much of what we talk about, about encountering, connecting, and growing. The, the very mission of this church, when we encounter the Lord, it's not, it's not just enough to see God for who he is, but then it's to be connected to his people here on earth. Uh, that's how we're going to grow together. And for us, we create, hopefully, avenues to do that, to connect um, through our groups in homes or here on Wednesdays. And that's what we're going to be, you know, that's what we're, we're going to be relaunching in the new year is going back to, uh, homes and small groups. And I was talking to a young lady, uh, this week who used to be at this church and she's struggling, uh, with where she is right now because she's been there for two years. She's on the worship team and she feels stuck because she's not connected. And regardless of what stage of life we're in, we all want to feel connected. Even in this, we're seeing it with um, middle school and high school age students who in this social media generation, we could set up video games galore and have opportunities to that. But when they have an opportunity for relationship, that's the first thing they're going to. We all want it. We all want it. And so I, it's just, it's deciding that I'm going to go and get it. And I have such a desire and a burden for it that even if I don't see it created, I think her solution, this young lady I was talking to, is I'm just going to start my own Bible study for people just like myself and create the community I'm looking for, for, for others that are disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes our problem really is the answer to the solution mm -hmm. is we're going to, God's going to use us to create the answer. And um, yeah. so it's so easy to come in and, and see what's not for me to see what's not and not right. to become part of the answer and the solution. And that's what she's decided she's going to do. And uh, I think that's just so good. We need connection, though. We need one another. It's not just enough to slide in and slide back out. Um, we've got to stay connected with people, you know, week in, week out, that we can text, that we can call, that we can talk to. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully that's what you feel here. Um, if not, man, we got to find a place that feels like home mm -hmm. um, and be able to be connected to folks. I'll say one more thing, too, about that is it's great to come here and invest your time <clears throat> and to meet people. But you know what, church, and I can say this because I'm not, I'm not the big, big pastor here in charge, but also if you don't invest your finances here, it won't feel like family either. You just need to, because, because your treasure and your heart are in the same place. All right. Amen. I mean, um, do we have one more time for one more question? Yeah. Did you want to say something? 
Did you, oh, I was just going to say, um, I think so often too, the, um, you know, we talk about the church being family and, you know, coming and being a part of everything. But I think when you can do that, you know, the church is supposed to be here for you in the time of your greatest need and the time of, you know, the, your low points. And I think when you create those relationships and when we can be vulnerable with each other, when we know each other, we know when you're going through something hard, um, you know, that's not the time to withdraw. That's not the time to stay home. That's not the time, you know, to pull away, but that's the time to come into the fold. That's the time to be surrounded. You know, I've seen this church just support people, lift people up that are going through a hard time, bring food, um, surround in prayer. You know, I just, I've seen some just amazing things because we know each other. And I think that's why I think it's so important to dig in and to build those relationships and to, um, because when we're family, we're family, we lift each other up in prayer, but, um, you know, it, it takes intentionality and it takes, um, you know, being willing to be vulnerable. That's so good. Um, we do have, did have a couple more questions about some stuff with some teenagers, but we're kind of running out of time. So Michael's going to wrap things up yeah. uh, real quick and we'll let you guys, let you guys go. But thanks so much for hanging out and it's nice sitting here at your feet. It's like, like we do at home <laughs> all the time. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> so but Michael has some resources yeah. he wants to tell you about too. Um, we're going to, we have, we're going to be posting some things on Facebook. Um, it's going to have some book reviews some book from Amazon. It's going to be some websites you can go to. So we've got a number of things that we're going to be posting this afternoon on Facebook. So if you'll go there, uh, it'll have some more resources. If there's something specific you want to talk to one of us about, or you just like more information on, believe me, we're by no means saying we've got the answers or we've got it figured out. We're in this journey with you guys. And we believe that God wants us to have healthier relationships, healthier marriages, and that's going to produce a healthier community. Um, and so I'm telling you the answer for today, what our, what our city's facing, what our nation's facing is in the family unit. And I believe that's where the enemy has had it in his crosshairs for years. And if he can destroy that, he can destroy a lot of good that will fill the earth. But that, yeah, not on our watch. Um, so definitely join us next Sunday. We're going to be having a great family service. I'm really, really excited to having the kids up here, including them and in what we're going to be doing. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also going to be really practical. You're going to walk out of here with some things. So if you came today and you were like, man, Michael, why, why didn't we just have someone preaching in the word and, and all that? Because sometimes we need exactly what we had today. We need openness, transparency, being able to fill the questions that you guys um, are on your heart. Because uh, that doesn't always happen through just a normal sermon. And um, I, I would definitely encourage you to go back if you've missed one of the previous weeks. Find it on our podcast. Uh, I believe God will minister to you through that. Uh, and we're going to be right back into God's word in a more traditional way starting next week. Very good.